We open in the Word of God this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 verses. I would like to read them all, but I'm not going to do that. We're just going to read first from verse 12 through 22, and then we'll pick up the reading at verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you recognize this is the great chapter on the glorious truth of the bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be, the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 35 but some men will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened or made alive, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory." so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Albeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We'll read that far in the holy and inspired word of God. And this morning we're going to look at Lord's Day 22 of the Catechism on pages 12 and 13 in the back of the Psalter. The last two articles of the Apostles' Creed, questions 57 and 58. What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? That not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? That since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which... I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. This morning, beloved, I bring to you the gospel, the good news of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And this comes to you as good news for your comfort. And that's clear from the two questions, both asking what comfort does this afford you? What comfort does this afford you? What a high note for which, uh, on, on which the Apostles' Creed ends. And that adds to what we looked at last week. I believe the forgiveness of sins, glorious comforting truth, and now I believe the resurrection of the body, and I believe the life everlasting. Do you feel the, the uplifting, comforting, joyful, good news? Put yourself, as some of you have recently been there, at the graveside and a hole in the ground, in the dirt, in a casket, and the remains of your loved one, dust, which will return to dust. And what do we say before we turn away from the grave? As we recite the Apostles' Creed, we come to this climactic end. I believe the forgiveness of sins, the sting of death, sin, won't have the victory. I believe 
the resurrection of the body, this body will be raised. And I believe the life everlasting in body and soul. And so put yourself there again on the great day of the return of Jesus Christ. And then we will stand at the voice of the Savior. And this is intended, this beautiful truth is intended for your and for my encouragement and comfort. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You believe this? In 1 Thessalonians 4, we grieve not as those which have no hope because, why? Because we know that when Jesus comes again, he's going to call us forth from the grave. So let's consider this morning the good news of our future resurrection. Notice with me first the reality of it. We could have and should have probably called it the wonder of it or the mystery of it. And then... Let's notice the possibility of our future resurrection in the second place and then the comfort in the third place. The question that we come to this morning is really this. Will this body in which I live now, after it's been laid in the grave, will it live again? There's another associated question and the Catechism answers it in part. What happens after I die and this body is laid in the grave? What happens to my soul? Those are two questions that we look at this morning. Now you can ask those questions in two different ways. You can ask them in an unbelieving, skeptical, mocking way. And certainly that's what is said and the way it is asked about the resurrection. Paul, you remember, preached the resurrection in Athens and they stopped him and said, we'll hear you on this matter some other time. They made fun of him. And the Sadducees came to Jesus and they had this long fabricated story about seven brothers and one woman and when she comes to the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Or right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the question of verse 35, some men will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And this is a question that comes from unbelief. We know that because the Paul, Paul continues in the next verse, thou fool. This is somebody who ignores God and they're a skeptic. How are the dead raised up? Is it possible? Is it possible that these bodies which decay in the grave, which are buried some for thousands of years, which are burned and torn apart and eaten. How is it that these bodies can be raised? And what will they be like? With what body shall they come? The same body? Now you can ask that question in that kind of skeptical way, but there's another way to ask it, and that's in faith, and that's the question and the approach of the question that we asked this morning. And we can even do that with these questions here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. How are the dead raised up? What's the possibility of it? What's it going to be like? With what body do they come? How is that body that will be raised different? And of course, that's a really important question for us. 
because we face the same uncertainty as we stand at the grave. And that's where the Apostle Paul really takes us this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And over against death and the grave, he puts before us this beautiful truth of our bodily resurrection. I want us this morning for a little while in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to see how Paul answers these two questions. How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? There's a little section here in the middle of 1 Corinthians 15 that is often overlooked by us. And I think part of why it's overlooked is because of the old English here and we don't really understand what it's saying. And I want us this morning to, to look at that from verse 37 and following Paul's answer to these two questions, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And Paul answers this, not in a direct way, by saying specifically it's like this, 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 and this, but instead he uses illustrations. And these are illustrations that he takes from the created world, and they're very beautiful because they show to us that even in this created world, God has given to us by the eye of faith a picture, more than one picture, of the resurrection. So the first question, how are the dead raised up? Paul begins to answer that in verse 36 by using an agricultural or a botanical illustration. He says, thou fool, in verse 36, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And there are here in these three verses, 36, 37, and 38, three comparisons that Paul draws to what you do when you plant a seed in the ground and what comes of it that we can draw to the reality of planting in burial and what we can expect in the resurrection. The first is this, in verse 36, that there is decay. Notice what he says in verse 36, Thou fool, that which thou, sow, uh, that which thou sowest is not quickened or not made alive, except it die. The question of verse 36 that comes from, of 35, that comes from these people whom he calls fools, is if the body decays, how can it be raised? And Paul is saying you're thinking about that completely back to front. Just think of the creation. Just think of what happens when you put a seed in the ground. It dies. He means it decays. You can have this hard, dry piece of corn that you crack your teeth on. And he says, you take that hard, dry piece of corn and you put it in the ground. And what happens? With a little moisture and a little heat, it begins to decay. It turns to mush in the mud of the soil. But what comes from it? What comes from it is new life. And Paul is saying, it can't be quickened. It can't come to life except it first be put in the ground where it decay. And God has given us that beautiful picture in the creation. Jesus says in John 12, except the seed fall into the ground and die, what it cannot have life. 
come back to life. And he's talking, of course, there about his own resurrection, but he, in talking about his own resurrection, is saying this is the principle. And now Paul is picking up on that same principle here, saying to these skeptics who say, well, it turns to dirt. How can it be raised? Paul is saying, of course, that's the way it works in this creation too. So the second similarity in verses 37 and the beginning of verse 38 is this, that what comes up is not exactly the same in form as what you put in the ground. So that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which shall be, but bare grain, which may, be, may chance, he says, of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. Now what he's saying is you take bare grain and you put it in the ground. Maybe it's wheat, maybe it's corn, maybe it's a flower seed. And when you put that in the ground, you don't expect what comes up out of the ground as that plant comes to life. You don't expect it to look exactly like the seed that you put in the ground. Something that's related to that seed but looks quite different than the seed is what will come up. And you see how Paul is answering this question. How are the dead raised up? With what body shall they come? Well, it won't be exactly the same form. It doesn't come up as bare grain, but God gives to, he says, each seed a body. And that's what he will do for us too. Our, our bodies that are sown in the ground will come forth in a different form. So verse 47, the first man is the earth early, the second man is the Lord from heaven. And then again in verse 50, this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. God is going to change what we put into the ground from earthy to spiritual and to heavenly. Just as that little black seed that you put in the ground comes up, quite differently. I remember when I was a child planting carrot seeds. There are these tiny little black seeds. And what comes up? Well, it's very different, isn't it? The green carrot top and then the orange carrot in the ground. And that's what Paul is saying here. What you bury in the ground is going to have a different form when it comes forth in the resurrection. Then the third part of his answer here in verse uh, 38, so that we see the similarities, is in the end of verse 38, that there is a connection between the seed and what comes forth at the end of verse 38, to every seed his own body. God maketh it a body as it hath pleased him. And then this, to every seed his own body. That is, a unique body that is given to each body that is put in the ground. In other words, there's a relationship between the resurrection body and what is sowed in the ground. A continuity, a recognition. Carrot seeds do not produce parsley. And when Jesus arose from the grave... There was something about him that was recognizable to the dis disciples. At, at first they couldn't believe it because they didn't expect it. And there was a change of form. But you remember the hands 
and the side and the face of Jesus. They, they recognized it. So there's a continuity to each seed, his own body. And that's the beautiful confession that Job makes. In my flesh shall I see God. With these eyes I will behold him. So there's a continuity. So you, you think of that now, you think of that in the spring as you put seeds in the ground. This is, this is a beautiful picture in the creation, isn't it? You ask the question, how are the dead raised up? Well, it's such a wonder and such a mystery that we can't explain it in, in, in some scientific way. But now think of how a seed dies and then what comes up, and how different it is, and how each seed is connected to that which comes up. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Well, the other question here is, is with what bodies do they come? And, and really the question here is about the, the form of the resurrection body. What will be different about it? How will it be different? And again, Paul doesn't answer that question directly here, but he uses illustrations to demonstrate the, not just connection, but the difference of that body, that it will be adapted to a different kind of life, to a heavenly life. And there are two illustrations here in verse 39 and verse 40. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. When he refers to flesh here, he means creatures, created things. There are many different creatures that God has made. And each of those creatures is different and unique. But all of them are adapted to live here on the earth. So there's a similarity between them. And yet, a fish lives in water and a bird lives in the sky. So even though they are creatures, they're adapted for different environments. And really what Paul is saying here in the resurrection, we will still be... Creatures, living things, but adapted by God to a different and a new environment. And that's the other illustration in verse 40. They're also celestial, that is, heavenly bodies, and bodies terrestrial, earthly bodies, bodies made, creatures made to live on the earth. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory, glory of the terrestrial is another. And he's telling us here to think about the wonder of all the things that God has created and how each of them is adapted to its unique place in this, this glorious creation and universe. You can look into the earth and you look, look at creatures. You can look at creatures in the water and you can look at the amazing way that God has created each of them to live there. And then you can look into the heavens and, and see the stars and the glory of the different stars from each other. One is red, one is blue, and another is twinkling, and they're of many different temperatures and sizes and distances from us. And Paul is saying, each of them has its own unique glory. And each of them is adapted for the place that God has created it. And that great diversity tells us that this, God when he raises us from the dead, is going to make us adapted to that new environment of glory in heaven, which is to come. 
And so in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. We can think of John chapter 5 where Jesus speaks of the general resurrection and he says that there will be a resurrection of some to life and of others to damnation. That means in our resurrected bodies we'll be raised either suited to live in life in heaven or suited to live in the torments of hell. So also is the resurrection of the body. And then he develops in verses 42 and following with these contrasts how we will be changed. What will be different? Four contrasts. The first is corruptible, incorruptible. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And now when we think of sown in corruption, we should think of a body that's put in the grave that decays. Lazarus, four days. By now, he stinketh. Decaying bodies. That doesn't just happen at the moment of death that we begin to decay, but you can think of a dentist and decaying teeth. You can think of bone diseases and decaying bones. You can think of infections and decaying flesh. And that's the reality of our lives in this world. We are in this process of dying and of aging, where that finally brings us to the grave, sown in corruption. But it's raised in incorruption, incorruptible, never possible for any thing of death to touch it, to corrupt it anymore. Raised in incorruption, not subject to sin and the curse anymore. That's the idea here. So there will be that great change. Then the second is this dishonor and glory sown in dishonor, raised in glory. And the dishonor is the shame that belongs to the mortality of men. That's the shame of sin. That's the shame of inability in old age to care for self. Paul talks to Peter about that. Somebody else is going to carry you and move you around in your old age. It's the shame in the end of dying and being put in the grave. What does man have to show for himself anymore when he's put in the grave? Shame. Dishonor but raised in glory. And now you think of the glory that Adam and Eve showed in their original creation concerning God, and this is what will happen when we are raised in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We'll see Him, we'll reflect His glory. The glory of God will be be seen in us. The glory of the Creator. All imperfections gone. All that which is deficient or deformed gone. Raised in the likeness of our Savior, ready to live in paradise. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. That's the third contrast here. And the weakness, of course, is the weakness, not just of our sinful nature, but even our physical bodies. There's a weariness and a weakness about our life in this world. And one commentator puts it this way, today we function at a diminished capacity 
in comparison to Adam and Eve in their original creation, a diminished capacity. We don't run on all the cylinders, not physically, not mentally, not spiritually. Weak and weakening, weakening. Till again, finally, we come to the grave and all human power is gone. Just think of the funerals of the rich and the famous and the influential. I remember years ago when Pope John Paul II died and they carried him on an open uh, bier through the cities of Rome and the cameras were following the funeral procession and the feet of his corpse are flopping, no strength. Weakness, but raised in power. The powers of Adam and Eve in their original creation will be restored to us. It's fascinating to think of the power of the human mind or the intellect or the power of invention or the power of strength and the power of technology or the power that's in this creation. And what is it? It's all harnessed and restrained on account of sin, isn't it? What will that be like in glory, spiritually, mentally, physically? They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It will be a power also over sin. It will be the power of being as he is when we know him and see him face to face. Son in weakness, raised in power. And so the apostle in the fourth comparison here speaks of that which is natural and that which is spiritual. And the natural is that which is, as he says here, terrestrial, earthy. And Adam and Eve were even created and suited to live on this earth earthy, but spiritual is that which is adapted to the glory of heaven. And now we think of the, the glory of the heavenly bodies. And he's saying there's a glory that will be ours in that future resurrection in which we're suited to live in heaven. And the best we can do is think of the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the powers of his resurrected body. And in this, Romans 8 says, we groan, waiting to be delivered and clothed upon with our house from heaven. I believe the resurrection of the body. Is this your longing? Is this your hope? And that's what Paul is talking about here as well. In verse 50, he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's saying to those who live in flesh and blood here in the earth, you can't go to heaven the way that you are now. You have to be changed, and that change has to be both for soul and body. There must be a spiritual transformation, and that spiritual transformation comes through the wonder work of regeneration by the Spirit of God. But there must also be a change for your bodies, and that's why our bodies have to be put in the grave. And when Christ comes again, he'll raise them again so that they're adapted to live in that glorious heavenly state. You can't go to heaven the way you are. You must be changed. And so he says in verse 49, not this, we 
have borne the image of the earthy, and we shall bear the image of the heavenly. But more literally, we have borne the image of the earthy. Let us bear the image of the heavenly. Let's do that. And he's talking about our life already in the here and now, the, the wonder of the fact that we will be raised again and that we have already now in us the power of the Holy Spirit working is, is a great calling to holiness and sanctification, a powerful message concerning that. Elsewhere, the Scriptures tell us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, risen with Christ already, seek the things that are above and that's the implication of our future resurrection. Now, there are two other things in the catechism here I want to quickly point to. The one is what happens to our souls immediately at death. The souls of believers at death are immediately taken to glory. Whereas the souls of unbelievers immediately and consciously will experience the horrors of hell. We don't wait to exist or fall asleep in our souls at the moment of death, but Jesus says to the thief on the cross today with me in paradise. Paul says to depart and to be with Christ is far better. He says again in 2 Corinthians 5, we know, we have the confidence that when the earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, that is when our bodies are laid in the grave, we have a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, a conscious experience at the moment of death, in the presence of Christ. And then there's another thing that's pointed to here in the Catechism, and that's in the, the last article, I believe, the life everlasting. And what we must say about this is that in soul and body, we will consciously and perpetually enjoy the perfection and the bliss of heaven. Everlasting does not refer to just this, that it will go on forever. But it refers to the quality, not just the quantity, but the quality of that life everlasting. Perfect and complete. And so, the Catechism says this, quoting 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, There's something that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has ever entered into the heart of man to conceive. Can't imagine it. And we will have that and praise God therein forever. And what 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 is actually talking about is the wonder of knowing our salvation. And it says in verse 10, God has given us to know these things. We have a beginning of that which eye has not seen nor ear heard. But by faith, we believe that's going to come to a greater and a fuller and a more wonderful expression. And the essence of that will be to be with the Savior. Why does our body in its resurrection have to be changed? Because we're going to be with the Lord. He says, I go and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there ye may be also. Revelation 21 tells us that the tabernacle of God is with men. God dwelling with his people. That's the essence of the life of heaven, they shall see his face, whom I shall behold, and not another. So we shall ever be with the Lord. Now we see him darkly, then 
face to face. Is that your comfort? Is that your longing? Is that your hope? When you say, I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. How's that possible? How's that possible? Well, we don't just have a picture in the creation of how that's possible in a seed that's sown in the ground, but the picture that we really have is this, the seed of the life of Jesus Christ that's sown in the hearts of God's elect. That is the seed of regeneration. The power by which our bodies will be raised is the power of Christ. This my body being raised by the power of Christ. And again, and made like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And it's saying, to th- saying this to us, that Christ is raised. That Christ is alive. That he has the power as the living one to raise the members of his body as he lives. So we also shall live. So in 1 Corinthians he's called the first fruits of them that slept. His resurrection means ours. His power over death means that death is overcome for us. He couldn't be held by death because he had paid the price for it in the cross. He'd overcome sin and the curse and the sting of death that brings grave and destruction. And now death is a servant. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where thy victory? And Paul makes that point very strongly to these skeptics who, hearing Paul's preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, said, well, that may be, but there's no resurrection for us. There's no resurrection for our bodies. Their skepticism probably arose from some of their Greek philosophical thinking. And that was this, that the material was evil and the spiritual was good. And that the body was some kind of prison for the soul and that death was deliverance from the soul from, from this prison. But what does Scripture teach? What does Paul teach? We are delivered body and soul. And our comfort is for body and soul. And so Paul makes that point here. In this life only we have hope. If there is no resurrection, then we are of all men most miserable. Then, in fact, he says, if Christ is not raised, we are still in our sins. Then our preaching is vain. But the reality is that Christ is now risen from the dead. He's overcome death, the grave, sin, and death is swallowed up in victory. I am the resurrection and the life, he declares. And so, here's the possibility Christ has overcome. And he's overcome in you and in me who believe by the power of his grace in the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. 
Now you recognize the words of the Catechism, don't you? Since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. The reality is that that joy eternal has begun in my soul. And because it has begun, it will be perfected in glory. Regeneration, which gives this new life, is resurrection. And he that's begun a good work in me will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And there's my joy and my comfort as I contemplate the resurrection. What comfort does this afford to you? What is comfort? Comfort is strength because I'm holding on to something, or I'm standing on something that is certain. Comfort is strength. Something better, something stronger. An anchor for the soul, a hope that's eternal and fades not away. And of course, we need comfort. And we have it. That's the point here. We need it because we face the reality of death and death is working in us and we walk through the pain and the suffering of death. But here we have comfort. That's put for us very beautifully in the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right before the apostle talks about the earthly house of this tabernacle that's being dissolved and a house not made with hands in the heavens. Immediately before that, in the end of chapter 4, he says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. And of course you can take that to life and to even our bodies, can't you? There's four comparisons in in 1 Corinthians 15. Weak, corruptible, mortal, physical. He's saying we don't look at those things. We look at the things that are not seen. The power and the incorruption of the body that is to come. And now he's saying, looking at those things, we see that our light affliction which is but for a moment, works that far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so I said in the beginning, these truths are set before us in order to comfort it and to encourage us. And that's the way that Paul finishes this glorious chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, he says, brethren, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The the truth of our future bodily resurrection should encourage us in the living of our Christian life in the present, even in the dark valley of the shadow of death, even in the struggles with sin. And that's our comfort. He calls death here bitter. He calls death here An enemy, O death, 
he says. But there's victory, isn't there? And now, that's the good news that comes to you this morning. You who, in grief, have had to put a loved one to rest in the grave. Death is very real. One of the traditions with regard to death in this country is having an open casket. And we look at the body of the loved one, and we think back to the times when the eyes were bright, when the hands squeezed ours, and we felt the warmth. It's gone. But we should think forward, shouldn't we? We should think forward when in the resurrection that hand will grasp again, when those eyes will be bright again, when that body will reflect the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when it will be powerful. Look forward. That's what this is telling us this morning. Job After my skin, worms shall destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And I will stand, and he will stand in that latter day on the earth. I'll see him and be like him. There's also comfort here for those who soon face death. What is death? It comes in a few days, by the appointment of God. And it's our going home. It's our going home. Then we'll see him face to face. Then the one with whom we lived and walked here, seeing through a glass darkly, we will know, we'll know him as he is, and as he knows us. There's a great anticipation that we should have a graduation from this life to glory, a transformation, a homecoming in death. And that's a comfort also for those who struggle in this life with pain, sickness, disease, Many in our congregation can't be here today. They join us on a video stream. They'll be not only in death, freedom, and deliverance, but perfection. That's the comfort for us today. This mortal must put on immortality. There'll be no paralysis, no blindness, no deafness, no tears, no Parkinson's disease, but perfection. Our bodies and our souls in perfection like Christ. 
Well, there's one more thing I want to say about the comfort, and it's this, that something that should be common to every one of us as believers, and it's this, that in this life we do struggle. And we do struggle, especially against sin, and we know that struggle in this way, that the good I would, I do not, the evil that I would not, that I do. And we cry out with the Apostle Paul, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Sin shall not have dominion. And we will be delivered in fullness. The resurrection is our victory over sin as well, the defeat of sin. And so this is our great hope this morning. He who has begun, since I feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, he who has begun this work in you, will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I believe, cling to this by faith, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the glorious truths of the resurrection set before us in Scripture, which are our hope and our comfort even as we live in the midst of death and walk through the dark valley and have to deal with grief and struggle against sin and, and deal with the infirmities and the weaknesses of this human life. Our hope, indeed our comfort, is that we will be like him and with him, body and soul. So come, Lord Jesus. Amen.